0: Hey, before we dive in this morning, I want to just say a quick thank you because October is Pastor Appreciation Month, if you didn't know that, and many of you blessed Laura and I with cards and gifts and and all that, and I admittedly don't really know how to feel about that because I don't feel like my gift is different than your gift. And there's a lot of people with my gift, and I know you don't need me to have church, but we absolutely could not do church without all of you. And so I kind of always felt like uh, there should be something for everybody. I don't particularly need to be, uh, you know, addressed or appreciated. I already feel that. without everything and furthermore I know a hundred percent I could not be up here every single week if it were not for Laura okay she manages our household well i could not tell you the last time i have touched a piece of laundry or a dirty dish she does pretty much everything she's a great head coach at home and even when she asks me to do stuff she uh, generally sets me up for success she sent me to the store just the other day with a list organized by section because i am an inefficient shopper and i get distracted with shiny things and sale prices And I'll come home with stuff that we don't even need. Um, So the real thanks, obviously, should go to her. She's serving back in the back. Otherwise, I'd tell you to clap for her. But point being, I feel like if there's going to be an appreciation month, it would be for everybody. Now, a guy I uh, admire, one of my mentors, said that uh, if I'm doing my job well, then all of the volunteers should feel appreciated year-round and Laura better dang sure better feel appreciated, he said, and uh, year round. So, uh, again, just want to say thank you. Uh, we couldn't do church without you, and I appreciate everything that you have given Laura and I. We're blessed to be your pastors, and as far as we're concerned, we are going to rock this thing until the wheels fall off, okay? So uh, there's that. That being said, in order to kind of set up the message, I need to tell you a story about a race Laura and I ran in. Uh, Every year in her hometown of Hope, which is a small town, they have a festival for their community and the surrounding communities, and this year they decided to have a 5K be part of the celebration, but... Uh, the 5K was called a glow run because they do it at night and there's like everybody wears little uh, glowing uh, necklaces and bracelets and, and all that. And Laura uh, entered us into the 5K. And as far as I con- was concerned, I had two jobs. Number one, I had to push Lenny in the stroller. And number two, I could not, under any circumstances, allow Laura to cross the finish line in front of me. Okay, so that, that was two rules. You can probably see where this is going. Um, I'm not from hope. The race is at night. The course is not clearly marked. Now, if you're from Hope, then it probably was clearly marked. Or the people who set up the course thought, hey, this is clearly marked. To an outsider, it was not clearly marked. And towards the end of the race, Lenny and I are minutes ahead of everyone. There is not a soul in sight. And when we should have turned left... To go to the finish line, we instead kept running straight, and after a while, probably at least a half a mile in, I think to myself, this is not right. There is nothing around, there's dogs barking, and I don't feel safe right now. And so I had to take the stroller off-road, and everything's bouncing around, and I'm like, Lenny, hold on, we're going to get there, as finally we make it to the finish line. And Laura's standing there. And I'm like, where did you come from? She's like, where did you come from? And the record is going to show for all of eternity that Laura crossed the finish line ahead of me when I was minutes ahead. Minutes ahead. I can't help but wonder if there's not a number of folks here today who are running this race called LIFE and they think they're ahead. Or they thought they were ahead when the reality is they've missed some of their course markers along the way. And the destination they're going towards is not at all the destination they thought it was. I find this analogy compelling because the author of Hebrews tells us that we are to run the race marked out for you. That God has a a race of life for you. And you're supposed to be running it. And I found that there's a lot of people who like to try and run everybody else's race. And then they get to the uh, finish line and they're mad because they look around and they're like, well, God, where are you? And God's like, I'm over here on the course I set up for you, on the race that I marked out for you while you're busy over here diddling in everybody else's race. So what I thought we should do here in November is distinguish between the race that God has set up for you and the race that God has set up for us. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, make no mistake, our race will absolutely intersect with each other, and our race will intersect with people who aren't followers of Jesus, and we need to know how that's going to look and what we're supposed to do, and we're on this mission with God and with each other, but there's also times that uh, we're supposed to do things on our own. There's things that God set up for you, and there's things that God has set up for me, and there's things that God has set up for us. And the good news is God's pretty clearly given us a great course map that we're supposed to follow and uh, know when some things are for you and us, and when there's times that we're just supposed to stay in our lane. And so, four weeks, four different talks that I'm calling 2020 Vision. Y'all are clearly as excited as the first group of people about my series title of 2020 Vision. You clearly don't understand how this is the only time in the history of the world that we'll ever be able to use this series title. Because 2020 is perfect eyesight. It's about to be the year 2020. And we're trying to figure out uh, how we can clearly see where God is leading us Some of you are thinking, well, what about 2020 B.C., Pastor? To which I will remind you that you do not have the microphone. You should not ask questions like that. And furthermore, they didn't even know what eyesight was in the B.C. So leave the series titles to me. 2020 Vision. God has a vision for your life. I hope you can see it by the end of November. If you'll commit to being here every single week, I can assure you there will be some tools that I give you. Uh, that God will use to set you up for success. I believe 2020 could be the best year of your life, but without some key components, it could also just be another year of the same old thing. That's the bad news. Vision takes work. Uh, A guy told me once that vision without activity is just just daydreaming. There's a lot of people just daydreaming of what they want their life to look like. And what I'm here to tell you is that we've got to apply what we hear... Otherwise, you're just in for the same old thing. Uh, rut and routine. What's the, what's the saying? If you do the same thing over and over and expect different results... It's definition of insanity. Okay? Yeah, so we need to do some things, some change some things up. Okay? So let's get to work. If you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Meet me in Exodus chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, that's okay. Just open it up to the very beginning. That's called Genesis. Turn a few pages to your right. It goes Genesis, then Exodus. You want the big number six? You can also follow along here on screen. We're gonna read four promises that God makes with his people. And it's my contention that these four promises are the same four promises that God wants to fulfill in your life, even thousands of years after he made these promises. In fact, these promises are so important, we're going to take one of them each week. One promise, four promises over the next four weeks. God says to Moses, Exodus 6, verse 5, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant pause what covenant What's God even talking about? Well, God made a promise, a covenant, with a guy named Abraham hundreds of years before uh, what we're reading here. And essentially, the promises, we'll, we'll talk about more in a second, but God's going to bless the descendants of Abraham with land, and in turn, they're somehow going to bless the entire world. That's the covenant. It's obviously not happening because they're groaning in slavery in Egypt don't have their own land, um, clearly are not a blessing to the world. But God remembers the covenant. Therefore, he says, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God, thank you for your word. We are asking you now to do what only you can do and speak to us. Help us understand your promises, the promises that you've made in Scripture. Help us discern where we're at in this race of life and how we can take one step closer to you. God, bless us with your presence, fill us this place with your Holy Spirit, give us clarity, give my words power and strength that can only come from you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Don't know how many of you have had a promise made to you and then have it broken, or how many of you have maybe even broken promises, but as a parent, this happens all the time. You know, the kids say, I promise I will never hit my sister again. Five minutes later, he hit me! I promise if you just buy me this one thing, I'll never ask for anything more. I promise I'll stay in bed all night tonight. I promise I won't get up. I promise I'll eat all my vegetables. I promise. You say, pinky promise? Y'all still do that? Any more pinky promise that you'll do? Uh, Spit in your hand, shake my hand, I promise. Uh, But as parents, we know there's no way they're going to keep any of these promises. Uh, Parents know that parenting is very one-sided. My kids have never come home and thrown down a 20 and said, thanks for literally running my entire life and doing everything for me. I appreciate it. That's never happened. And it likely never will. And I don't expect it to. I understand as a parent, the exchange of resources is going to be, in this relationship, very one-sided. What gets con- kind of convoluted, though, is when this one-sided relationship spills over into my friendships. People talking about, I didn't get that text, man. When did you send it? When did that ever happened to you? I didn't get that text. I know you got the text. I saw the little bubbles in the thing, and it said, like, red. I, kn- I know you got the text. How come your phone works impeccably when you're sending me a text, but when I need something, all of a sudden AT&T magically disappears all of the texts? Um We've all been in relationships like that. You go out to eat. Ooh, forgot my wallet, man. You're gonna have to get me this time. I, I'll get you next time. I promise. Right? Pinky promise that you. There's never a next one. Uh, don't know if you caught it, but this relationship with the Israelites is very one-sided. God says, "I will, I will, I will, I will," four times. And what's verse seven say? You will know that I am God. That's your contribution. Thank you very much. God does all these things. You get to know that he is God. I will bring you out of slavery. I will free you from the burden of the Egyptians. That seems weird. How do you free somebody after you've already freed them? We're going to talk about that next week. In short, God takes the Israelites out of Egypt, but then he's got to get the Egypt out of the Israelites so they can become the people of God. Very important for you to come back next week so we can talk about that. And then God says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to restore you to your original purpose. That's what that word means. With mighty acts of judgment. And finally, I'm going to take you to be my people. And in response to those four things, you're going to know that I am God. When you say it like that, Pastor, yeah, it does seem very one-sided. In God's favor. Except I don't know about you, but I fairly often feel like my relationship with God is very one-sided in the other direction. Anybody else? If I'm being honest, I probably should, since I'm the one preaching. Uh, If I'm being honest, I feel like I'm doing all of these things for God. It's like, God, where are you in this whole situation? Didn't you hear me pray for this God? This is a good thing. This can only result in praise of your name. And you're not going to answer this prayer? God, I'm I'm doing what you've asked me to do. How come you didn't intervene on this? I had a problem. How come you didn't solve it, God? You might want to jot this down if you're taking notes. People don't need a problem solver. They need a promise keeper. That's my entire message in one sentence. People don't need a problem solver. They need a promise keeper. Everybody looks to God to solve problems their problems, but the reality is, and the question before you today is, do you believe God is a promise keeper? Now, to be fair, we're going to read in Scripture about how God is a promise keeper, and of course, He always keeps His promises, but what you really need to wrestle to the ground is, do you actually believe that's true for you? Do you actually believe God is going to keep the promises that He's made to you? Because of course it's true in the Bible. I mean God always fulfills the promises in there and yeah, we have the end of the book. So we, we see it over and over. And if he would have failed, that surely would have been edited out in post you know production. So sure God comes through here what about in your life? Imagine being a slave for four hundred years, longer than this country's even been in existence. And every day you wake up with the only thing that you know, generation after generation, is oppression and violence and nothing is ever given to you. You don't think these people are wondering, where is God in all of this? What about in my divorce? Where was God in that? What about in my bankruptcy? What about in cancer? What about in singleness? What about in the child we lost? What about your pain? It's easy to look for a problem solver when the reality is you need a promise keeper. A promise keeper that said, I will be responsible for bringing you out from under this burden, this heavy yoke. And, and the promise has said, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And if God is for me, who can be against me? That's the promise keeper. So let's do this. Let's talk about this covenant that God made with Abraham. And then let's talk about this first promise that God made with the people of Israel that I would argue is also a promise that you need to lean on today. The promise of I will bring you out from under this burden and this yoke of the Egyptians. First God's covenant. If you're in your Bible, go ahead and just flip a few more pages back to your left into Genesis chapter 15. Uh, Genesis is when we're introduced to this brother Abraham, it's, uh, his name is first called Abram, it eventually is changed to Abraham. It's kind of interesting, scholars uh, argue that the name Abram literally translates father of height, or exalted father, that's what Abram means in Hebrew. And then the name Abraham means father of width or father of many nations. Except here's the irony. Abraham is over 70 years old and has zero kids. And every time somebody mentions him by name, the paradox that is his life is brought to light. Hey, exalted father, how are the kids? Well, I have none. Thanks for asking. Like, still? You're like a million years old, dude. How do you not have any kids anymore? That's the paradox of Abraham's life. But watch this. The Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household is going to be my heir. Type out. Abram is looking for a problem solver. I ain't got kids. What can you do for me? When the reality is, what did God say first? I am your shield. I am your great reward. There's this promise. How quick we are to forget that God is our reward. Our great shield and protector. Remember this one side of relationship that we talked about? God says, hey, I'm going to keep you safe. Because I'm your shield, and you've got me, the God of the universe, on your side. And Abram's like, Well, what about my kids? God, in his love and mercy and desire to not keep good gifts from his children, says, All right, this man is not going to be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and says, Look up at the sky. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Now, it's easy for us to think, Wow, what a guy Abram must have been just legit for God to show up like this and talk to him and make this promise? How good of a guy Abraham must have been. It's easier for us to think that. Except you should know that Jewish history teaches us that Abraham's job was the same as his dad's job. You know what they did together? Handcrafted idols. Made graven images for people to worship. I bring that to your attention simply to remind you that it wasn't Abraham's good behavior that got God's attention. It wasn't Abraham's good behavior that God rewarded. It was Abraham's audacious faith. What's verse 6a? Abraham believed the Lord. Sometimes the reason God doesn't give you what you want and what you ask for is because you're trusting in everything but him. You're trying to solve all your problems on your own instead of believing the promises that God has made to you. God brought Abraham all the way to the point where the only thing he had left to do was trust in God. It's the only thing he could have done. I don't know what you know about the human body, but at 70 plus, that hope of kids, that ship is pretty much sailed. You know what I'm talking about? You ain't you ain't having kids at that Plus, Abraham's wife, Sarah, she's over 65. She's gone through the change herself. You know what I'm talking about there? You need me to spell that out? I mean, okay. Uh, while Abraham's out counting stars, Sarah's inside trying to cool down. The hot flashes. that she's. We got doctors here. You can figure that out. But all they can both do is trust in the Lord. Maybe you're here today and wondering what is the point of it all and I came to tell you you're not here by accident. God's ready to speak to you in the same way that he spoke to Abraham. God has made promises to you and he's ready to fulfill them. You don't need a problem solver. You need a promise keeper. And God's ready to to help you understand what this promise that he's making and made to you really means and he'll keep it and it has nothing to do with you or what you've done and it has everything to do with what Jesus has already done for you verse 7 God also says to him I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it but Abram says sovereign Lord how can I know that I'll gain possession of it you ever asked that? God, how can I know your promise is true? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Great, that clears it up. God, an FFA display is all I need in order to understand that God is a promise keeper. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey, vultures, came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. I'm glad that's in there. Thank you for that detail. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. You ever heard God described like that before? Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. This is sounding familiar. But I'll punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, you are going to go to your ancestors in peace, be buried at a good old age, and the fourth generation of your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces on that day... The Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. That's the covenant God remembers in Exodus 6. Now, if you'll read on, you'll read about how this promise of offspring, it takes more than 20 years. Abraham's wife, she tries to take matters into her own hands. She tries to solve the problem. Hey, here's my servant girl. You can have kids with her. Because after a year, it's like, well, God, come on, did you remember? After 20 years, it's like, Houston, we have a problem, and we're going to have to solve this ourselves. But Abraham didn't need a problem solver. He needed a promise keeper. And God promised him offspring, And he was required to trust. But here's what else I find so fascinating about this text and why I wanted to read the whole thing to you. Because God, in this covenant promise, tells us that the Israelites are going to be enslaved. Now you'd think some of them would have known this story. You know, since it ended up in the Bible. Some of them had to be repeating it throughout the history of time until Moses comes along and is the only brother that can write and figures out how to write all these stories into the books that we now have. And so somebody would have said, hey, you know, as they're cooking up bricks in Egypt, remember crazy Uncle Herschel? And he kept reminding us of this story, how we're going to be enslaved for 400 years, and this is like year 399.11 months, and maybe this is about to end. Maybe this whole thing is going to, you know, stop, and and God's going to rescue us because our time's about up. And then Moses shows up, and all these people, powerful acts of judgment start happening, these ten plagues, and maybe they should have pointed back to this story and said, hey, God is faithful. God is keeping His promise of rescue. But that's not what they thought. They thought Moses was some kind of hero. Now that he was going to solve all of their problems. And even when he gets them out of slavery, they're like, dude, we ain't got any food. Where's our water, Moses? Solve our problems. What are we supposed to to do. We are better off in Egypt. And I think the message is clear. That God's plan is never thwarted, but it rarely makes sense. 20 years of no kids, 40 years of wandering around in the desert, 400 years of slavery. God says, your kids are going to number in the billions, Abraham. You're not called to understand God. You're called to trust Him. And it's credited to you as righteousness. And when God makes a promise, it's a promise. So what we need to do is discern and discuss this first promise that God makes and figure out in our lives if this promise is true for us. From Exodus 6, God says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That is to say, I'm going to rescue you from slavery. The reason this is important for you to know is because you're also in slavery. You just don't always recognize it because it's a spiritual slavery. Look at this. Jesus talks about this in John eight thirty four. says, "...truly, truly, I say to you," Jesus says, "...everyone who commits a sin is a what?" Help me out. "...slave." "...everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin." And unfortunately, Romans 3.23 tells us, for everybody sins and has fallen short of the glory of God. That's what that word literally means if you're confused. The word sin, it's an archery term. It means you fall short. Everybody falls short in the eyes of a perfect, holy, and righteous God. Now, can I tell you why Jesus is good news for sinners and slaves? Because slaves don't need an illustration. They need a liberator, Right? Everybody always says, well, Jesus was just a good moral teacher and a prophet and some kind of role model for us to follow and love, and yeah, kind of, but sinners and slaves need a Savior, not an example. I don't need somebody coming in here and telling me how to live. I need somebody coming in here and giving me life. I'm a Burdened by the slavery of sin. I need somebody that can come in and rescue me from that because I've tried over and over and I've got nowhere on my own. That's why Jesus is good news. Because just like God rescues the Jewish people from slavery a few thousand years ago, He will again rescue you from your slavery that's got you shackled in servitude to serve your own desires and serve culture and ultimately serve our enemy, the devil. That's the slavery you're in. You don't need an example to follow. You need somebody to rescue you from slavery. You don't need a problem solver. You need a promise keeper. God is ready, willing, and able to rescue you from your sin. And once He's accomplished that, He wants to get the sin out of you. You out of sin, step one. Sin out of you, step two. We call that sanctification. The reason God just doesn't you know, rapture you up to heaven once you've accepted Jesus... Is because you've got work left on this earth to do. That's why the Bible talks about working out your salvation, working out your salvation. This is the promise that God makes to you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit into your life and work it out. God's a promise, keeper, way, maker, miracle worker, light in the darkness, savior of the world. That's who you're trusting in this promise. I need you to hear me say God is for you. God is not trying to keep anything from you. He's promised it. And if He's for you, He's likely for your neighbors. And if He's for your neighbors, He's likely for your town. He's for your town, He's likely for your county. If He's for your county, He's likely for your state. If He's for your state, He's likely for your nation. If He's for your nation, He's likely for the world. That's the message of the Gospel. It's for everybody. It's not just for us. If you're going to truly believe in the promises of God that he makes a way for you to be alive then you've got to learn how to be a passionate inviter not an indifferent attender write that down the only logical response for you in recognition of what Jesus has accomplished for you is to be a passionate inviter not an indifferent attender so listen to me now This is not just about you inviting people to church. This is about you inviting people into fullness of life. This is about you in response to what Jesus has done, inviting people into your home, sharing a meal, going out to coffee going out to see a game, being passionate, is communicating the love of God that is for all people by trusting His promise that He came to this earth to lead you on this race of life that finishes with your fulfillment. That His way is better than your way. This is the passion that needs to be exuding out of the pores of your soul. I fear that in our culture, we haven't forgotten God. We've forgotten how to have a conversation. We've forgotten how to be social. I'm not worried about you sharing your faith. I'm worried about you sharing life. I'm worried about you slowing down long enough to ask somebody... No, how are you doing and actually caring about that? I'm worried about you saying, is there something you need? Can I help you with, with something? See, this is what I was talking about when I said your race starts to intersect my race. and starts to intersect everybody else's race that everybody around us is running. God has a promise and a plan and a purpose for your life, and I want to help you discover that, but I can assure you it will always include other people. So let me kind of do this as we wrap this up this morning. Here's what I know is true for everybody in this room, including me. We are all so busy with our own lives that we almost never take time to trust that God has got this under control. We, each one of us, in our busyness, are trying to solve all of our own problems. And I hope you realize that today's problems came from yesterday's solutions. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching. You think about that? Everything that you tried to solve over here, all of a sudden manufactures itself over here, and you're like, what in the world? I thought I had this solved. And everything keeps rearing its ugly head again. No, we don't need a problem solver. We need a promise keeper. And we need to calm down and start living life intentionally. It's the old saying, if the devil can't make you bad, he's going to make you busy. Slow down. Start noticing the people around you that you can help them understand the promise of God. Since I'm a practical guy and I want you to be able to walk out of here with something tangible that you can do to start making a difference. We've had these Something Extra to Show You God Loves You cards printed. They're on your chair. I would encourage you to grab it. Take it with you. Grab more on your way out if you need more. And use this to communicate the promise of God that He loves you, He's for you, and when you're in that drive through at McDonald's, you give this to the cashier right after you pay for the person behind you. You take this and you give it to a waitress with a huge tip, because she's probably a single mom just trying to make ends meet. And You give this to somebody that you think needs it, You find a creative way to use this to invite somebody, not just to church, but to fullness of life. Because here's what you can't hear me say. I literally could not care less if whoever you give this to does not end up coming here. Could not care. You know how much harder my job is the more we grow? Okay? So that's not the win for me. The win for me is you use this and you communicate the God, love of God, or you use this and you end up starting a relationship. You use this with the recognition that that car behind you, that waitress, whoever it is, they have a soul that God cares about. And you're going to be the one that God uses to touch their life. That's what this card is about. Don't make your win them being here. Make your win the relationship. Make your win a change of your own attitude that I trust the promise of God. He's changed my life so much that I want to change everybody's life around me. He won't fail me. He hasn't failed me yet. He's rescued me from sin. He probably wants to rescue somebody else from sin. Found people, find people. That's the message. I promise you, if you will be intentional about this, If you'll start exuding this passion of life, your life is never going to be the same. You'll be addicted to helping people meet Jesus. And it will be the most satisfying thing you will ever accomplish in life. And it will be the most rewarding thing you can ever dedicate your life to. I know some of you have hard lives. You've been through some difficult things. You're going through some difficult things right now. And I can promise you, if you'll dedicate your life to Jesus and changing other people's lives, God will change your life. I guarantee it. You do you. Just be passionate about life. Change your perspective. And I promise you, God will fulfill the promise of bringing you out from slavery and you can take that pressure off yourself that your words are what's going to change these people's hearts. No, God promised, I'm the one who's going to bring them out of this burden of slavery. All you have to do is communicate their love of me to them by living your life and doing what God's gifted you to do. You don't have to do all this other stuff. Serve. Be passionate. Love life. God's not trying to keep anything from you. He'll take care of the rest. God, thank you for this truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. God, we're passionate about the idea that you are for us your for hour success and joy in life and god we know that doesn't mean everything's going to be easy you got 400 years of slavery you got 20 years of no promise being fulfilled god but we're trusting you that your way doesn't always make sense but it's the best way and your plan will never be thwarted god help us rely on you help us leave this place with the understanding that your way is better than our way. We're going to trust you to find somebody in this life to start a relationship with that can we can communicate your love to and with. God, help each person understand the importance of their life and that what they do every single day matters. And if you're here and have yet to trust this promise of God, of fullness of life, of rescuing you from this burden, burden of slavery that is sin. Please don't walk out of here today without claiming the promise of God that He will make a way for you. He's already done it through His Son, Jesus, and all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you, that you died on a cross, that you rose from the dead, I can have new life. I claim this promise. Forgive my sin. God, thank you for new life. Encourage each person that's here today. Help them realize the blessing that you have given them with this life. And let them use their lives for your glory and their joy. And we ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.